Lord, you are the rock of ages. You are the one on whom we can stand. You are the sure foundation, the cornerstone. You are the one in whom we can hide and be hidden and find redemption and forgiveness covered in the robes of Christ, able to be presented before the Almighty, holy and unblemished. We do this for your glory and we depend upon your grace. Even now, as we're about to hear a message that is so foreign to uh, the, the mindset of, of the world in which we live, Holy Spirit, without your help, uh, some of us will not be able to believe this, not, not to the heart level. So would you now meet with us as we, as we open your word and not only give us understanding of what this means, but Father, allow us to live what this means and be able to respond rightly to this reality. We ask this in the gracious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We are in the midst of a pretty serious situation. I would refer to it as an epidemic. And it is the epidemic of individualism. What we have been taught and are being taught and, and being told regularly, not only by ourselves, but by the culture at large, is we, we are better when we're simply looking out for ourselves. When we focus on us and what we want, we're better when we seek what it is we desire rather than uh, being concerned with the needs of others. Uh, the idea being that so long as we get what we want, that's all that really matters. And the best thing any of us can do is safely separate ourselves from the dangers of interdependent relationships. So what we have is a very serious situation. And we can understand how we got here. I do anyway. I know how I've come to, to this place where that, where that seems like the, the, the best way to go. For me, it happened with my family. See, at the age of 17, I emotionally disconnected from my family as my parents went through a divorce. And all of our family members basically went in our own separate directions. We talked, we spent time together, but there was a break in that relationship and a wound that occurred in my heart that I have had to seek uh, the, the, the saving work of Christ to, to rescue and redeem from that brokenness. Some of you know that feeling. You know what it is to have a heart that has been damaged by family, family falling apart. Some of you know what it is to have a relationship fall apart, and you know what it is to have a broken heart because someone you had committed yourself to, maybe it was in a marriage and you've been through a divorce, maybe it was just a relationship you thought was going towards that direction, and it didn't work out, and your heart was broken, and so now there's a, there's a wound there. For some of you, it's because of a friendship that failed. I was introduced to a new concept uh, some while back by our young people who spoke of this idea. It's called a frenemy. You ever heard of that? Someone who is a friend but acts more like an enemy. They, they say they're your friend, but they often try to elevate themselves and put you down and, and try to somehow control you, manipulate you to make themselves feel better. Uh, some of us are more familiar with the other saying, which basically says, with a friend like you, who needs enemies, right? And so there's been a wound there. There's been a hurt there. And, and from this, it makes it very easy for us to not give time. And if we're honest, most of us would say, no, 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 I don't have a deep wound. I don't need to go to the counseling center. I don't need to deal with my parents. I don't need to go back and all that stuff. I just don't have time. 
I just don't have time and the emotional energy to be able to pursue these relationships. And so many of us, what we do is we fear not, not only the, the pain, but also the cost that real relationships can cause. Friends, be warned. Listen to the teaching of C.S. Lewis in his masterpiece, The Four Loves. If you've never read that book, let me encourage you to read it. The Four Loves. Look to what he says here. It's very important. To love it all is to be vulnerable. To love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Let me pause here and let me remind you that animals are great. There's no one who loves their dog more than I do. Everyone knows Charlie. And what's not to love, right? Sure, he's a sinner, but I love him anyway, right? An animal cannot replace a human being. In our culture today, many people are, are leaning in and depending upon an animal. Animals can't do it. God made us for himself and for other people. Speaking of the heart, if you want to protect it, this is, being, this, this is him speaking to the deceptive nature in which we think. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, look at this. Safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The love is to be vulnerable. Friends, if we're going to have a real life that matters, we're going to have to have real relationships. And everything in our culture is telling us, don't do it. But God calls us to it. He invites us to Himself. He invites us in a relationship with Him so that we can have a relationship that is right with others. Our theme this year is Better Together. The world says you're better on your own. God says you're better together. Think about the creation. What was the one thing that God said was not good? He made all these things, and after each one, He said, this is good, this is good, this is good. There was one thing. You remember what he said? He said, it is not good for man to what? Be alone. It is not good to be alone. It is not good to be independent. This, this sickness, this, this epidemic of individualism is destroying our souls. What happened? Well, God's design is that we would, have, we would be in a right relationship with Him, within, and with others. But because of sin, that relationship was broken. Our relationship with God was broken. Relationship with ourselves and with other people was broken. But this is why God stepped in. Jesus Christ, God in flesh, came to the world to save us. Now, what is salvation? Friends, listen to me. Salvation is not an issue of geography. So many people talk about salvation and, and this idea of being saved or being made right with God so that you can go to heaven. Salvation is not an issue of geography. Salvation is an issue of relationship. Heaven without the presence of Jesus Christ is a golden prison. Without the filling of God's love and of God's people, Heaven, as beautiful as it may appear, becomes a prison to the soul. 
friends, salvation is not an issue of geography. Salvation is an issue of relationship and love. Christ has saved us to be filled with His love so that we can be with Him and so that we can then love one another and be with one another. We are never better than when we are together. We are better together. And so this whole year, our theme is to talk about and to understand how we are better together. In this series that we begin today, we're going to learn that life is better together. We're going to talk about what this looks like. See, understand, God saved us to be a part of a family, His family. He drew us near to Himself so that we can know Him. When you think about Living Hope, let me give you a way of thinking about what it means to be this church. Living Hope, please understand that we are a family of disciples called to make disciples. I don't know if they're this good. God has called us to be a family of disciples that make disciples. First and foremost, though, we are a family. Understand, again, we used to be far from God, separated from Him, alienated from Him. But God drew near to us to redeem us, to change us, to fill us with His love. And God calls us to do the same thing for the people of the world. It's not about institutional religion. It's not about being in a certain place on an hour or a week or a month or whatever your, your cycle of rhythm may be. It's about loving God and being changed by His presence in your life. Think about what God did. I read this from the uh, Southern English Standard Version. Many of you have the English Standard Version of the Bible. This is not a published work yet. I've only worked on two verses of it, but this is the proper, by the way, this is the proper translation of this verse. If you're a northerner, we will translate this for you. But as southerners, we understand the proper way of speaking of the second person plural. What does the text say? It's Ephesians chapter 2, beginning verse 12. Remember that y'all were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, y'all, who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Look at the communal aspect of this. See, God has called us community. God is community. God is three in one. He's communal. And He calls us to live lives that are in community, that are interconnected. Once we were alienated from God, once we were isolated, we were alone. And friends, that is a taste of hell. What is hell but isolation from God in darkness and pain? What is life? Eternal life. It is presence of God, presence of love, presence of life forever and ever. This is what God has called us to. And we are to share this as a family. We are to be a family of faith that, that, that are disciples, that make disciples. God has gone to a great extent, to a great sacrifice of Himself to, to take us from being far to near. And God calls us from going from me to we. Do you speak of yourself as the we? Do you think of your life in terms not of just what I want and what is right, but do you think in terms of what is best, not just for you and your special someone, but for the family of faith? See, God has called us to something bigger than ourselves. 
God has called us to be a part of His redemptive work in the world as His family, as His people, to do for others what He has done for us. And our text today provides a powerful picture of what it looks like and what it means to be the church. Again, the church is not a building. What is the church? The church is people. And so what we have here is a, is a description of what God wants us to be. He wants us to go from me to we. So if you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and turn with me now to First Peter chapter 2. Uh, Jay Macy is going to come and read for us verses 1 through 8. Let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. Again, we're in First Peter chapter 2, and that's where we will be the remainder of this month in First Peter chapter 2. And uh, today we're in verses 1 through 8. So Jay, if you would read that for us. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants fall into the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow and tuck into salvation, if indeed you have a tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourself, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. First hands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to. The Word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jay. If you would, go ahead and be seated. Let's be reminded again what Peter was doing at the original writing. He was writing to people who were, uh, practically speaking, powerless in their culture. Uh, they were under uh, um, investigation. They were about to be seriously persecuted. And so what Peter is doing is he's reminding them of the foundations of the Christian faith and calling them to the, to the greatest thing that, that is associated with being a Christian, which is being a part of his family, being a part of his community of the saints. And so uh, we, we live, friends, in a city. We, we, in Bowling Green, we live in a city filled with people who are desperately alone. Some of you sitting here today, you feel desperately alone. You're married, but you feel alone. You're in a family, but you feel alone. You have friends, but you feel alone. You, you go to work. You uh, hang out in your neighborhood, at your, at your dorm, at your apartment. Uh, you go to the workout place, and you see people all around you. You go to sporting events. But if you're honest with yourself, you feel alone. And this is not the will of God. God has made us for Himself. He has come to us that we might know Him and live in Him and live in Him as a family and as a family together for one another. This description that, that is in this text is provocative. What does it mean to, to you? What, what comes to your mind when I say the words spiritual home? What is that to you? What is a spiritual home? Living Hope, God is calling us to be a spiritual home. A place where people who need love and hope and truth can come and be cared for. Where we can come. Where we can be cared for. Where we can experience love and hope and truth in this place that is Living Hope. Again, Living Hope is not a building. People. We are the dwelling place of God. 
And as this dwelling place, we are to be something significant to our city. Our city is in desperate need of love and hope and truth. And this is not meant to come to them organizationally, but organically through our lives and relationships. What does it take to be a spiritual home? Our text today shows us three steps that have to be taken. I want you to take note of these. The first one is this, is to understand Christ. To understand that Christ is the cornerstone. When you look at verses 6 through 9, you see this description. Uh, uh, Peter is, is using three Old Testament passages that, that, that use this stone metaphor to, to basically explain the, the design of God for us, His people. Our lives are, are meant to understand Christ as the cornerstone. Now, you need to know this. You are going to relate to Christ as a stone. The question is, what kind of stone will it be? One of two ways. Either you will relate to Christ as the cornerstone or as a stone of stumbling. One of those two. Christ has come to be the cornerstone, to provide a sure foundation. Yesterday, as we were beginning our Little League basketball game, I never quite understand what my boys are thinking. I think they're crazy. But they think I'm crazy, and so it works. But I, they, they come up with the funniest things. They tell me the strangest things at the strangest time. Yesterday, we're getting ready to begin our game, which typically means I've got to make sure no one's gone to the bathroom, that everyone's shirts are tucked in, and that their shoes are tied, and, and, and all this stuff. And this little guy walks up to me, right? You know, we're getting ready to get into it. He says, hey, coach, my, my family, we're like destroying our house right now. And I looked at him and said, what are you talking about? He said, yeah, all morning long, we've been breaking stuff all over our house. We're supposed to do something like we're building it, but something's wrong with what's underneath it. And so we're like destroying everything. I said, sounds like you got a foundation problem. He goes, yeah, I heard my dad say that. Why are we talking about this before a basketball game? I do not know. I don't know. It's a mystery wrapped in an enigma that as is all young boys are. I don't know. But then it dawned on me, I'm preaching on this tomorrow. And so I had to thank him for the illustration. Because here's the deal, guys. No matter how pretty and how big your house is, if the foundation is bad, sooner or later something's going to go wrong with that house. And the same is true of life. No matter how pretty you make it look on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, no matter how you uh, have other people perceive you out in the real world, here's the deal. No matter how big and pretty it may look, without a sure foundation, sooner or later it's going to fall apart. And Christ Jesus comes and says, listen, I want you to build on me because I am the rock of ages. I will not be moved. Nothing will ever change the way I feel about you, God says. God says, I will always love you. I will always redeem you. I am your rescuer. And nothing will ever change the reality of our relationship for all of eternity. You can build a life on that. But if you won't, and some of you aren't, you got to understand what, what Christ will become to you. He'll become a, a, a stone of stumbling. And here's how it's going to work, especially in North America. See, we're being told regularly, there's people on TV right now, and I'm so grateful that, that you are here and not, not listening to this stuff. I'd like to get a TV ministry, but I don't have enough hair for it. But, but that's another conversation altogether. But what I'd like to, 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 to do is to remind you of how dangerous some of this teaching is. Because, see, there's this teaching out there that basically says that God exists so that you and I can be happy and get the success we want. In other words, there's this lie out there that says that God exists for our glory. And that's a lie. We exist for God's glory. 
we exist for, for, for Him to take pleasure in us, not vice versa. But for some, for some, you don't believe that. And so, for some of you, you're, you're tripping over God. And I've even talked to people who said, you know, I invite them to church, I invite them, oh yeah, I've tried church, I, I've tried that, that God stuff, it didn't work for me. What they're saying is, God did not serve my purpose, and so I'm done with Him. He didn't give me what I wanted. He didn't make things the way I wanted them to be, so I'm done with Him. And, and that understanding of Christ, false, a false understanding of Christ, will lead you not to base your life on the cornerstone that is in Christ, but instead to make Christ a stumbling to you. And you will fall over Him, and you will reject Him, and you will you'll miss on the, out on the very thing that can give your life the meaning that, that God designed for you to have. Please understand. When are you going to have a funeral? I'm going to do, I will be the, the efficient of some of your funerals. And, and I'll talk about what you did for a living. I'll talk about some of the accolades of, of, of your background. But you know what's really going to matter in that moment? Your relationships. What's going to really matter is, did you have a relationship with God? And what kind of relationships did you have with other people? That's all that's ultimately going to matter. And the only way that you can have a right relationship with God and a right relationship with other people is to build your life on this cornerstone. Because, and, and, and write it down, Christ the cornerstone, he, he makes me a living stone. See, by the power of Christ, we are transformed into something new. We see the descriptor there in verse 1. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all sin. It changes the very nature of our identity. We become newborn infants. We need to be fed spiritual milk. That is the truth of His Word and the fellowship of God's people that we might grow up into salvation. If we indeed, look at that, if we indeed have tasted that the Lord is good. So what happens is, as you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. Look what you become, verse 5. You yourselves are like living stones. I brought with me, I bought one of these yesterday, a living stone. It, it reminded me of this movie I saw years ago. It was an architect who became a teacher, and he held it up in the class, and he said, what is this? And they began to yell, it's a brick, it's a rock. And someone said, it's a weapon. And um, he said, it's that and more. He said, connected in the right way, it can become a masterpiece. And he began to show these pictures of all these beautiful buildings that were created by things like this. I want to tell you something. You're meant to be more than just this. Cold, separate. You're actually meant to be connected and made alive by the power of God and a part of something bigger that God is doing in the world. You're meant to be a living stone. And the only way that you can become that living stone is by believing in the cornerstone, that stone who brings life, Jesus Christ. And, and by trusting in Him, this stone comes alive. Your life comes alive. But it doesn't come alive to be isolated from other lives. It comes alive to be connected to and become a part of something bigger, a spiritual house. Write it down. Christ, the cornerstone, makes me a living stone, and we together a spiritual home. Again, the description, verse 5, for you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Understand, God has called us not to live in isolation, but in relationship. And it begins with Christ in us. And so, 
To come alive, you've got to receive Christ into your life. Remember, He is not an ideology. He's not a philosophy. He's not an institution. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, born of the Virgin, lived a holy life, died on the cross, was raised, and now reigns. And one day, every knee will confess, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord because He is alive. And if you will allow him, if you will ask him, if you will invite him, if you will tell him, God, I need you. I need your life in me. Forgive me. I've been going my own way. I don't want to be alone. I don't want to be isolated from you. I want to be alive to you. If you will ask Christ to do that, he will bring you to life. And then that life will become connected not only with him, but with his, his other people. And we will together form a spiritual house. Remember, we are the dwelling place of God. It's not buildings, it's people. We are now where God tabernacles. What kind of house are we? Are we warm? Are we loving? Are, are we the kind of family, are we the kind of home that says, y'all come hang out with us, come be with us? Over Christmas uh, break, I heard the story uh, of a child who, in our church, parents said, what do you want? And his, his adolescent said, I, I want you to redo the downstairs area, make it livable. They said, what do you want? What do you mean? Couch, TV, just where my friends can come and hang out. So this room that was once empty and dead and of no use became a place where now adolescents go and hang out. Do you know what that family found out? Because they began to hang out there too. You know what happened? A place that was empty and dark became a place of life and light and love. Are we that kind of family? Are we the kind of family that says, come, we have hope to share. We want to share with you our hope. We want to share with you not just the gospel, but our very lives. Look what it says in, in uh, you can't look this up, but look, quickly, let me read this. This is uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians 2 It's one of my favorites. Listen to this. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves. Is, is that who we are? Or are we a church made up of people that are just individuals that come in here bald guy talk for an hour? And some of you think that's too long. I don't know why. Are we really a family? Are you and I really making this a family? story of two boys, two gifted young men, one an athlete, the other a businessman, both of them arrogant. They both broke their parents' hearts. Their relationship suffered a conflict, and they went their separate ways for years. The younger brother, the businessman, went through a very terrible and very tough time, but in the midst of that, God showed up and God drew him near. And God changed his life. We now know this younger brother. We know the name of the older brother only because we know the name of the younger brother. The, the older brother, this great athlete that, that was, was celebrated, was forgotten. But this, this young businessman, he's never been forgotten. See, his name at one point was Jacob. But after he met God, his name became Israel. And he became the father of 12 tribes, one of which was Judah. 
And of the tribe of Judah it was said, the scepter would never leave your feet. And so from the line of Judah came King David, and from King David came Jesus Christ. Why did that happen? Because a young man acknowledged his need of the presence of God, and God changed his life for all of eternity. And his name will not be forgotten forever and ever because of the work of God in his life. Now, what about you? Is your life an isolated rock? Or is it a part of something eternally significant, filled with love and life in Christ? We get to choose. We get to choose. Now, let's be honest. Some of you are terrified by the the idea of this. Some of you don't believe it. And some of you can't wait to get out of here to get back to Facebook and Instagram and some false sense of of social engagement that doesn't require you to actually care and love other people. But for those of you who have ears that can hear and eyes that can see, what I would say to you is come. Come to the Lord. Come to His grace. Come and become a part of something that that is bigger than your individual life. Come and be a part of something that is eternally satisfying and significant. I don't know what it looks like for you, but here's what I know you're going to have to do. You're going to have to give up something. See, what this requires is that you give up your false security of independence. What this is going to require is that you give up a night or two a week, a month. It means that you're going to actually have to interact with other people that are just as messy or maybe messier than you. That means it's going to require emotional energy from you. It's going to require time. But this is what it means to be the family of God. Now, I don't know how you're going to do it, and I don't even know if you want to do it, but here's what I would suggest you do right now. is to say, God, I don't know what this is going to look like in 2017, but before we get into the details, I'm just going to say yes. Before I start going to my calendar and figuring out what I'm going to have to stop in order to be able to start something else, I'm just going to say yes. I'm going to right now go ahead and say, Lord God, You are, Lord God, you are over my life. And so I say to you, yes, Lord. And that's the commitment I would encourage you to make today. And here's what I know. God loves you more than you can ever love yourself. God is more powerful than you could ever be. And he knows what is absolutely best for you. And what is best for us, for us to be together. We are better together. Life is better together. And so here's what I want you to commit yourself to today. is to Christ Jesus, the Lord, and to being in community, whatever that looks like this year for you in a local church as a member who can be counted on. Oh, that's a big ask, I know. (laughs) I know they're like, oh, you have me till there, Pastor. No. Will you give it to him? You're invited to to get on your knees and do that if you want to. You're invited to do it right there at your seat as we sing this truth about who God is. Friends, we have an opportunity. You have one life. Which which brother are you going to be? 
the older that's forgotten or the younger that, that lives on? Is Christ going to be the cornerstone or the stumbling block? You've got to choose. Choose right now. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, I ask that you would in this moment right now hear the commitments of many who would say, Lord, whatever it requires, yes. Whatever time it requires, yes. Whatever emotional energy I will have to give, yes. However I need to serve and sacrifice, yes. I will do it. I will be a part of this family. I will make this place, these people, my family. And we will be a family, a spiritual house that is filled with light and love and life. And I'll be a part of it for your glory and my blessing. Lord, hear the prayers of your people as we sing of the truth of who you are. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen.